You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome back to the Oz Network for another recent movie review. Uh, we're here today to talk about a movie that uh, I'm pretty sure nobody out there has seen or probably hasn't even heard of, but it's something I want to talk about regardless, and I am here solo again. Uh, my name is Colin, and I'm aware you have not heard of Seven Days in Entebbe, uh, which is a movie that I'm kind of surprised didn't get a little bit more of a push. I'm also kind of surprised I didn't hear about this movie earlier, but uh, it's, I guess you could just say, a very small movie that um, was released um, probably about three or four weeks ago, and uh, I, I just... One day I was looking through what was playing, you know, the place where we're living at right now. We live only about two blocks from a movie theater. So I was just seeing what was going to be playing uh, coming up in the next week. And I saw this one movie I hadn't heard of, Seven Days in Entebbe. And I'm like, what is this? So I just looked it up on IMDb. And the first thing I saw was the names Daniel Brühl and Rosamund Pike, who, uh, of course, Rosamund Pike, most well-known for uh, Gone Girl, which she got an Oscar nomination for, but goes all the way back to the James Bond movie, Die Another Day, which terrible movie, but she was one of the few saving graces about that movie. And Daniel Brühl, another actor that, just like this movie, most people probably haven't heard of, but uh, if if you are looking him up, you're going to be most familiar with him from the movie uh, Rush, where he played the... Uh, Race car driver, Ben's going <laughs> to hate me that I know nothing about this, but uh, Nikki Lauda, and of course that was uh, Daniel Brühl and Chris Hemsworth, and he totally stole the show from Chris Hemsworth in that. He also played uh, Baron Zemo in Captain America Civil War, uh, but uh, I know him from all the way back from 15 years ago when he made a movie called Goodbye Lenin, which was this uh, German movie about uh, a kid whose mother's been in a coma and she wakes up and doesn't realize that communism has collapsed so uh he just decides to fake it and do fake newscasts and everything i, I could almost go on and on and do an episode on goodbye lenin here but uh, that's not what i'm here to talk about but daniel Brühl, i just thought he was amazing when i saw that uh that small um foreign movie that he did the the german one uh, goodbye lenin and uh i just waited for years for him to really start popping up and now all of a sudden he's starting to pop up in these other movies so I saw the names. I'm like, let me check this out. I read the plot for it, which, since I guarantee nobody's familiar with this, uh, the plot's basically based on a true story from the 70s where there was a plane that was hijacked by uh, some terrorists who decided to land the plane at an airport in Uganda and then from there just held them hostage for seven days. Uh, Technically, it's not seven days. It's more like five because it took them a day and a half to get there or whatever. But this movie just follows those seven days from the hijacking all the way up to uh, the operation by the Israeli military to, I I guess, try to save these hostages. Uh, Pretty basic plot, but something I'm kind of surprised that I hadn't heard about even just in the history because I'm very interested by history and stuff like that. But I guess this was just sort of sandwiched right between the real event that is sandwiched right between the terrorist attacks in Munich and then, you know, the Iranian hostage crisis would come a couple of years later, uh, which obviously we've seen the, um, the, the movie Argo, which uh, you could say there were not a lot of similarities between the movies, but I guess just similar in the, the time period and dealing with the terrorist attack and everything. Uh, so plot's very simple, but it piqued my interest. I saw the trailer. I'm like, this looks great. I immediately texted my brother and I'm like, hey, we should go see this movie because he kind of likes you know historical movies as well. And uh, as soon as I texted him, I decided to look up the reviews for this 
and the ratings. And I'm like, well, on IMDb, it's a 5.5. That's not too promising. Uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, it's like a 23%. Uh, I think it was a little bit higher that time, but the audience score is a bit higher. I'm like, ooh, the reviews are really bad, but it looks really good. So he's like, well, let's go check it out anyways. So I went to go see it, and I guess before I get to the, the, the final review on this, I just have to say the movie's not nearly as bad as most critics are making it out to be. Uh, I think in some ways maybe it feels more like you know a, a straight-to-Netflix uh, movie, but it's still satisfying enough. I mean, if you go into it expecting you're going to get something like Argo, you won't because it's, this is a much trickier story to tell. Um, the movie is telling it from the point of view of two of the terrorists, which are Daniel Brühl and Rosamund Pike's characters, uh, and you don't really get, I guess, a hero character to follow in this, which is maybe one of the reasons why uh, some audiences aren't as uh, thrilled with it or some critics weren't as thrilled with it. But just doing even more research, I realized that this story has been adapted at least three other times before. I guess mostly, you know, smaller movies or uh, uh, made-for-TV movies. But it is an interesting story, and I think the the trouble with it is just that the, you don't have a heroic character to follow. And this movie's gotten some criticism, which you know, one of the reasons I wanted to do this review for it, despite the fact that I know nobody's seen this movie and probably won't see this movie unless it goes straight to Netflix uh, is because I think most of the criticisms that this movie's getting are a little bit unfair. Uh, the main thing being that there are some people out there who are saying, well, this movie's glorifying the uh, the terrorists or it's uh, trying to, I guess, heroicize the, the terrorists and Daniel Brühl and Rosamund Pike's characters, which nothing could be further from the truth in this movie. If anything, I feel like this movie didn't take enough of a stance either way. It either didn't make them uh, heroic anyway, not them saying they should have because this is a true story and these were terrorists and they did, you know, uh, they were responsible for deaths and everything here but aside from that, it doesn't really take the stance of making them evil either, it, it just presents them as part of the story and there are a few moments here where you get into the characters a little bit, there's one moment which you could maybe say is supposed to be a little bit sympathetic on Rosamund Pike's character uh, where I guess it's getting late into this hostage crisis. She goes and she makes a phone call to somebody in the airport. And, uh, you know, if you watch that scene, you're supposed to f maybe feel for her a little bit, but you know so little about her backstory that it almost could just come across like, well, she's crazy too. You know, there are a few scenes where these two characters, and I guess to set up why these characters, you know, would be portrayed a little bit differently is because this incident's about Palestinian terrorists who did this hijacking, and you have these two Germans... Uh, Rosamund Pike and Daniel Brühl who have joined them and this story is telling from the point of view of them because they are the outsiders and a lot of what happens in this movie it's important that you are following it because tying it to the Germans and here they are and they're taking a plane of uh, Jewish hostages you know obviously the movie does uh, draw some comparisons to well you do realize what you're doing is making you like a Nazi and yeah Another reason I've heard some people complain or read some reviews where they complain that this movie's, uh, you know, trying to humanize the terrorists too much is that they're saying, well, it's portraying, you know, Daniel Brühl's character especially is not wanting to uh, be like Hitler. He didn't want to be viewed as this. And he, you know, is there's times where he's trying to be nice to the, the passengers, especially one who uh, they identify in the movie as having survived through the Holocaust. But it's still fair enough because if you read the real story this movie's based on you and people make criticism of that, read the real story. And the real passengers have said, yes, this guy did do that. He seemed to go out of his way to make sure that nobody was thinking he was a Nazi. He went out of his way to even say to people, you know, I'm no Nazi. I'm no Hitler. And 
without going too much into spoilers, there is a moment on the end of the movie, uh, which also probably is part of where the criticisms are being drawn, where he, uh, I guess, he doesn't go as far as you think he would in the climax of the movie. You know, he doesn't want to just open fire and kill people, and this isn't too much of a spoiler if you are going to see the movie. But again, this is a documented fact that happened. So it's not to say that they're presenting him in any way as a hero. They're simply presenting the facts, and the facts are that for whatever reason, this guy was willing to take these hostages, you know, for the 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 cause of these other terrorists, uh, and obviously had you know political issues or everything with Israel, which is what this is all about. But still, decided he didn't want to go as far as these other terrorists did. So. It's fair enough, I think, in this movie that they present it that way. Uh, that's really as far as it goes. So when I was reading a lot of these criticisms saying, yeah, they're trying to make these characters too heroic, it really just isn't true at all. Uh, and I don't think it's a fair representation of the movie. Now, if there is going to be a criticism in the movie, it's the fact that you don't have anybody to root for in this movie. Uh, you don't really follow a lot of the passengers. There's one character which I think is a great character in this movie. Uh, he's not a pilot. I think he's an engineer on the plane. And he's probably the closest you get to... I guess a character that you could really get behind a root for, but he's such a minor character that's in the background. It's just because, you know, you have this, uh, I don't know, a couple hundred people were being taken hostage. He's sort of the, the one guy uh, as part of the flight crew who stands up and decides to, you know, kind of take lead on their behalf. And I really like that character. You know, you're following mostly terrorists in this movie. And the movie went out of its way to not portray them in any heroic way, which does maybe hurt it when you're viewing it wanting something to cheer for or wanting something to, I wouldn't even say cheer for just something to be invested in and it's hard to be invested in people where you're watching this thinking well they kidnapped people they they hold held them hostage they killed people they're responsible for this really terrible thing which especially the, the way this movie presents it you, you realize it it is kind of a hate crime against uh you know these jewish passengers because even though they're hijacking this plane, they, they go as far as to separate the passengers. Again, documented fact that these terrorists separated the passengers. They're like, oh, we just want the Jewish passengers. And that's what they were, uh, I guess, holding hostage more than the others. But I was interested just in reading the real story to see how much this sticks to the real story. And how little is really dramatized in this. Even though as I was watching the movie, I was feeling like there's a lot of moments here which probably heavily dramatized, you know, like some of those moments that people are complaining about where they presented these terrorists, you know, to, in, in too much of a positive light, where it's really not true because these are the facts that happen. And the movie doesn't in any way uh, make them anything other than a terrorist. I mean, you're never supposed to agree with what they're doing. Uh, maybe, again, that's the fault of the movies that you, you don't push hard enough in one way or the other. If they had had one heroic character you could get behind, maybe if they had made that engineer a little bit more of a central character, even though he probably wasn't that terribly important to this story, the real story, if you had dramatized that event a little bit, I think maybe audiences would be a little bit more accepting. Uh, it would have been easier to hold your interest because some people have complained this is a slow movie as well. I don't really see it as slow at all. I thought it was entertaining. And funny enough, when the movie ended, the one of the first things my brother said to me is like, yeah, I could see why there'd be criticism of this movie because in a modern day movie, this isn't your modern day uh, military movie, uh, action thriller, whatever you would call it, historical drama. Uh, it is more slower paced and it feels more traditional. And uh, that's something that I kind of liked about it. You're not watching this being so bombarded with everything. It does take its time to build the story and show you all the events that happen. And there are a couple of scenes in this movie which really work. But again, not having that character, if they had 
maybe dramatize it a little bit and making that engineer on the the flight crew a little bit more of a central character i think that would have helped the movie even though it wouldn't have been as accurate to the real story it would have helped the movie uh maybe be a little bit more accepted by critics and audiences but the story itself it's still interesting and one of the other side things that you get in this, you, there are a couple of little side plots, and the main one being uh, that you're following, I guess, the government's response to this. And uh, that's where I think the greatest performance is moving. Again, I'm a huge fan of Rosamund Pike. I'm a huge, huge fan of Daniel Bruhl. But, like, this movie's stolen by, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name. Um, I guess I will try here. <laughs> uh, Lior Ashkenazi. Um, so he's playing the uh, Israeli Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin. Uh, who would become very famous later on with his own assassination. Sorry for the spoiler um, of history. that really doesn't have much to do with this movie. But uh, Yitzhak Rabin is a very prominent character in uh, history. And I didn't even realize for a lot of this movie that it was supposed to be Yitzhak Rabin. Again, they don't really hammer you over the head with a lot of this. Uh, but the guy who plays Rabin just gives an incredible performance. And I really liked all that government stuff, mostly because of his performance. I don't feel like it would have held up as well if it wasn't for that actor in there. But aside from that, you have one other weird side plot, which if you're watching this movie, you're going to be like, why am I watching this? And this is a guy whose girlfriend. The movie actually starts with some type of really unusual, you know, uh, Israeli version of Lord of the Dance. I don't know what to call it. It's it's a weird kind of ballet uh, thing like that, stomp type production. And they cut back to this you know, uh, dancer and her boyfriend several times, and the boyfriend's in the military, and I guess he's part of the operation um, to rescue these hostages. You know, when you get later in the movie, uh, and I kind of just watching this assuming well of course they're going to need somebody to tell that story later on but i mean watch the whole movie and you're going to realize only at the very end you know after you get past the whole story and they're doing the write-up you know about this is what happened here this is what happened here and you're going to get what the connection is there uh one other thing that you know people i think uh, really need to see this movie for uh is the portrayal of uh, another character that's already been tr portrayed in movies before, um, somebody probably even more well-known than Yitzhak Rabin, which is Idi Amin, uh, who is, of course, the Ugandan dictator. If you saw Forrest Whitaker, who won the Oscar for Last King of Scotland about 10 years ago, he played Idi Amin, and this guy was, like, as brutal and as horrific of a human being as you could imagine. And Last King of Scotland, you know, definitely portrayed him in a very weirdly charismatic way, you know, definitely dangerous, definitely scary, but weirdly charismatic. And this movie does the same thing. And if you know a little bit about Idi Amin, this is kind of the way he was too. It's just weird that they, they set him up in this movie. And this is where you get a little bit of entertainment in the movie. They set him up as being like, he's so crazy. He's so insane. And then he's so charming that the introduction they have, and I don't want to spoil it too much, but they introduce his character, this horrible dictator, this, this you know, uh, Ugandan uh, version of Hitler or, or Saddam Hussein or whatever else. And they introduce him and he introduces himself to the passengers in the movie. And they give him, like, applause. Like, he's so charming that these passengers are like, I like this guy. But that's kind of the way he was. Like, he, he would be crazy on one side. And he would be incredibly charming on the other side. And that's why he was able to stay in that position of power so long. He's not a huge character in this movie. But he is there quite a bit. Uh, it's not like Last King of Scotland. And, you know, the performance is definitely different. Because you don't go as extreme with him. They're really portraying the, the extreme part of Idi Amin 
I guess more in the background of this. It's talked about, but you don't see it as much. But still, it's it's a great addition to the movie and something else that it's worth watching for. Uh, just being perfectly honest, I mean, a lot of this movie is people sitting in a small airport, you know, telling passengers to be quiet or disagreements between you have the Palestinian terrorists and these two Germans. But overall, I mean, I think the story comes together. There's enough interesting characters in the movie that I thought it really worked. And... It was funny when I was watching this movie, I really didn't understand why there was as much criticism about it. We've talked about other movies on here where we'll see the movie and we'll be like, that was great. And four or five days later, we get around recording it. And we're like, ah, it's it's not as good as I remember. And we're going to have another movie that's going to be coming up, not uh, a review, but a recap we're going to be doing. Um, I'll just say it. It's The Avengers, where rewatching The Avengers six years later, a lot of things don't hold up as well. I don't know how this movie's going to hold up years from now, but I can honestly say when I came out of this movie, the first thing I said was, yeah, that wasn't too bad. It wasn't like I was, you know, jumping out of my chair. I'm like, that was fantastic. Uh, although I will say the climax where you see the, the raid on this airport and you do have the, the operation to rescue these hostages. It's played with this music from the beginning of the movie, the ballet music, and that alone is just worth watching. I mean, if uh, you never watched the movie, if you can find a clip of that on YouTube, check it out because it's just it's brilliantly uh, put together with the music in the background, this really weird, haunting ballet music, and uh, this uh, you know military operation. It's just fantastic. Uh, but I wasn't like jumping out of my chair when I saw the movie, but I'm like that was pretty good. And a couple of days later, I remember talking to my brother again. I'm like, you know, the more time passes, the more I actually think that was just a really good movie and something I'd want to see again. And that's why, you know, originally I wasn't going to record an episode on this just because, as you've been hearing, we've had so many reviews over the last couple of weeks. You know, Tomb Raider and uh, Ready Player One and uh, Pacific Rim. And I'm going to have another one coming up, which we'll uh, talk about at the end of this, and maybe another one after that. Just all these movies that we're covering right now, and this is one nobody would have seen, but... Weeks later, I'm still remembering this movie, and that's not to say it's the greatest movie ever. You know, in fact, if I'm just going to get to the official review now, I'd say, honestly, this would be a rent-it. Uh, it's not a buy-it movie, although I'd be interested to check this movie out. It's something I definitely want to see again, but as far as a recommendation for audiences, definitely don't bin this movie. Like, Don't just skip it, but this is something, in a weird way, when it comes up on Netflix, click on it, watch it, and don't go in with the expectations that it's going to be this incredible masterpiece is going to be Argo, even though I have some issues with Argo as well. Um, but it's not going to be as wildly entertaining as something like Argo. It's not going to be as uh, intense as something like Zero Dark Thirty. But for a small, low-budget movie about, a, I'm not going to say little-known, but yeah, maybe a forgotten uh, terrorist uh, incident from the 70s, the movie works. And if it comes up on Netflix, it's something that you should definitely check out. But go into it expecting to see what you would get out of like a straight-to-Netflix movie. You know, the movie came out, it didn't do huge business. Um, I was kind of surprised that we had it its opening weekend here in Winnipeg because I think it only opened in like 150 theaters or something like that. But, you know, I guess it did okay for the amount of theaters it opened in. I'm not under any uh, illusions that this movie is going to, you know, be remembered years from now. But I, I just wanted to get out there because it was something where I had a lot of opinions on the movie. And I think there's things to recommend about this. And I also just don't think it's fair in most of the criticisms. You know, even if you go into this and you're like, well, it was too slow for me. I mean, that's fair enough. As I was talking about, you know, my brother's reaction was that it was not really for modern audiences unless you're kind of familiar with more classic military style movies like this uh, or, um, you know, thrillers, uh, historical thrillers like this. It's 
it's still decent. And I have to say, in comparison to Munich, you know, it doesn't have the style that Munich has. Although I will say there's some good stuff done by the director, uh, Jose Padilla, who I guess he made the Robocop movie a couple years ago, but he's more well-known for the TV show Narcos that came out recently. It, he doesn't do a Spielberg-like job on this, you know, as far as the style goes, the way Munich is. But I think that he does a decent job with a couple of sequences in this movie. And I will say, I feel like this movie is easier to get through Maybe because the running time's shorter. It's like an hour and 45 minutes, but it's maybe a little bit easier to get through than something like Munich, which is at times almost a little bit too heavy of a movie and not exactly what you'd expect. And there are some similarities because it's about, it's not really about the Munich, you know, uh, Olympics, the, the terrorist attack, but uh, more about the aftermath of that. But you do get a lot of the uh, Israeli special forces and everything in there. Um, not a better movie than Munich, but again, maybe a little bit more watchable. So something that's worth checking out if you ever see it on Netflix. So officially, I'll say rent it. Uh, and for you know Daniel Bruhl and Rosamund Pike, I mean, I did say I'm huge fans of theirs. I like that they did something completely different here. You know, Daniel Bruhl is he's a small guy, so to see him in a role like this where he's playing kind of a terrifying terrorist, it was very different even though he has played villains before. I mean, I kind of still go back to him in Goodbye Lennon. And there's a movie like, if we ever cover a subtitled movie, I could convince Ben to see it. I mean, Goodbye Lennon's one to see because that movie's just a blast. But yeah, it's fun that he's had this career up until this point and I can actually be like, 15 years ago, I thought, man, if this guy could only speak English, he would be a big star. And 15 years ago, Rosamund Pike's in Die Another Day. I'm like, wow, that's a really cheesy movie, but you can take her seriously. And she was good in it. And I think she still holds up in that. And she's gone on to have an Oscar nomination um, another funny thing, we saw a trailer for uh, the movie Beirut coming out with uh, John Hamm uh, right before the movie. And as soon as we walked out of the movie, I'm like, is Rosamund Pike officially typecast now as the female lead in these military-style, <laughs> uh, Middle East military-style uh, military movies? Uh, but yeah, maybe she's typecast, but she's still got on to have a, a good career. So these are two actors I've been waiting to get a big break, and they have. Uh, but I guess... Their performances, they are what they are. They, it's harder to have something to work with. They do have some really great scenes in it, but they are playing characters that aren't really likable. They aren't really hateable. They're just there. Uh, and I think any smart audience is going to go into this and they're not going to view this movie thinking they're making, well, I would say every smart audience, but there's a lot of people who seem to not watch this movie that were of the opinion that they uh, made it too positive. Uh, another criticism, just before I forget, that I want to talk about is that there are people who are saying that this movie, um, that uh, it's a little bit too heavy-handed with the message they have on the end. We can't really talk about the spoiler here, but the message, I guess, just being about, you know, peace between Israel and Palestine or whatever, uh, they, I guess, are trying to... People are trying to criticize this movie, saying it's that it was too heavy-handed in this movie. It was too obvious what they were going for. They kind of crammed that message down your throat uh, in maybe a, a not-so-subtle way. I didn't feel that at all. I feel like you only really get... Maybe you, you can kind of guess that's what the point of the movie is based on a few scenes you see. You know, there is one line that Yitzhak Rabin has in this movie, uh, which... If you're just viewing this movie, not realizing this is real history, you'd say, oh, well, that's a little bit of a forced line, you know, to really drive home the message in this movie. Uh, it's not like, look at their faces, it's all the same for Volcano. It's not that bad. But then you know what happens to Yitzhak Rabin later on. You realize, well, there's a reason for that line to be there, and it maybe is just more about his character. But again, I, I feel almost every criticism of this movie is a little unfair, except for the fact that some people have said it's too slow-paced. 
if this movie came out 15, 20 years ago, I don't think anybody's calling it slow-paced. You just have to kind of be familiar with the style of the movie to really get it. Uh, but they're officially rented for seven days in Entebbe, also called Entebbe everywhere in the world except for North America, I believe, uh, because for whatever reason, we thought seven days was more important to tack on to there. Uh, for the next review, I did mention at the end of the Ready Player One episode that there's another one that I was going to see that I wasn't sure if I'd do a review on. We're still going to be at that point because Jamie and I are going to see another movie this weekend. And if I can talk her into covering it, maybe we will. But that's another story because I don't know if she's going to be too crazy to do another episode. Uh, but uh, I ended up seeing uh, another small movie, another genre movie, uh, but Stranger, the sequel to The Strangers uh, called The Strangers Pray at Night. And just like this movie, I didn't expect I was going to do an episode out of it. Because uh, it's not a major movie, uh, a little bit more major than Seven Days in Entebbe. But uh, once I saw the movie, I'm like, okay, I got to do an episode on this. You know, not giving away whether it's a good, bad, or in the middle opinion. It's just something I want to do an episode on. So hopefully, in the next couple of days, you'll get a review of The Strangers Pray at Night. And the good thing, if you haven't seen these movies, I mean, these are spoiler-free reviews. Just listen to it, and then you can get an opinion on the movie, and then go see it, and then tell us how wrong it is. Uh, for other movies, though, for our recaps, uh, we've been teasing it for weeks upon weeks, but we are going to do The Avengers and The Aven Avengers Age of Ultron. And then when we do our Infinity War preview episode, don't miss that, because we're going to do very short, I guess, mini-reviews and talk about all the other Marvel movies and kind of give our rankings of all 16, 17, 18, however no whoever knows how many Marvel movies there are out there. Uh, so that one's still to come. But The Avengers is not going to be Ben and I because Ben is working right now. Um, he has an adult job and uh, <laughs> doesn't have the time to record this. But uh, Jamie's going to be joining me on this episode. And all I'll tease is to say... Jamie may not be as crazy about the Avengers as anybody listening to this episode is, <laughs> so she's not as happy recording these as uh, you might think, but she gets a chance to talk about shirtless Chris Evans and Mark Ruffalo and uh, Chris Hemsworth and Tom Hiddleston and whoever else in these movies. So she's going to have some outrageous comments, so listen to that one. Uh, also, just the regular episodes that are going to be out there, uh, Survivor. Hopefully should be out right now. Uh, I'm doing the recap with Rossi this week because, again, I've got lots of other episodes to record. Uh, and Billy's on vacation. Uh, so we couldn't get Billy on to a host or be a guest. Uh, so we're going to have to uh, do this just as Rossi and me this week. But uh, it still should be a good episode because both of us have very strong opinions on this season. If you haven't listened to the Survivor episode yet, listen to our recap just because... Even if it has nothing to do with the episode, we're going to talk a lot about this season and problems and things like that, the uh, opinions on this season. Uh, as well, RuPaul's Drag Race going on, also with Rossi and I. And then Ben's got all of his Lost, Nip Tuck, and Third Watch. And I always almost forget one of those and uh, almost pause for a second to think about what it was. But I got it this time. All three of those episodes uh, will still be coming weekly. Um, and uh, that's pretty much it. I believe that's all we have coming up. Just an episode a day, basically, to keep you busy. Uh, but that is it. Uh, my name is Colin, and thank you for flying Air France. Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.